Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of No Script, No Problem on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? No Script, No Problem is the show that takes you behind the curtain of unscripted television like never before with insight from some of the best in the business of reality TV, documentary series, competition shows, social experiment, true crime, and much more. From say yes to the dress, to love is blind, to surviving R. Kelly. If it's unscripted, we'll get into it. I'm your host, Steve Berkowitz. I'm a 16-year veteran producer of unscripted television with shows like Extreme Makeover Home Edition, BattleBots, Outdaughter, The Rachel Zoe Project, and Friday Night Tykes among my credits. Each week, I talk to the talented people who make unscripted TV, documentaries, true crime, and game shows, not just something you watch, but a cultural phenomenon. Now, if you enjoy No Script, No Problem, please subscribe and rate the show. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can also find it on Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter and Clubhouse at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. All right, let's get started. Today, my guest is a phenomenal producer and creative executive who is currently the founder and CEO of Every Woman Studios, which is a purpose-built media company with a mission to tell female-focused stories that might not otherwise be told and that can have a positive impact on our culture. Now, prior to that, my guest co-founded Half Yard Productions, a fantastic production company, and her producing credits include such shows as the monster hit Say Yes to the Dress for TLC, How the States Got Their Shapes for History Channel, the critically acclaimed The Last Alaskans for Discovery, as well as The Tobro, which I found gross, but still, still a the only one. to watch. Junkyard Empire, Raising Tourette's, Curvy Brides, I Found the Gown, Mud Loving Redneck, Randy to the Rescue, Modern Marvels. Please welcome folks, Abby Greenfelder. Abby, how are you? I am doing well. It's nice to be here and to chat with a fellow nonfiction producing denizen. <laughs> yes. And you are one of the best and you're doing something with Every Woman Studios that is very unique. And that's why I really wanted to chat with you about it. And so let's just jump right into it. You know, you go from Half Yard, which is a pretty standard production company, doing something very special with Every Woman Studios. Tell the audience a little bit about Every Woman, why you decided to start it and what makes it so unique. Yeah, like many things that happen to many of us, the things that come next in our lives are the product of all the things that come before. And for me, part of the coming before was that I spent the first part of my career at Discovery Channel. I kind of came up through the company. I'd worked a little bit in production before. You know, I spent a large amount of my time programming the network and really buying shows and developing shows with some of the great producers and had the great fortune of um, working on a bunch of great shows while there. But one of the things that struck me while I was there was how the female audience that we were selling at Discovery 
was discounted relative to the male audience. So we sold Discovery at a premium to say TLC. And so I, at the time, early on in my career, and this was maybe 25, 30 years ago, I always thought surely this would not always be the case because the female consumer tended to watch more television, still does. And also uh, more women, you know, are co-earners and we have earned wealth and inherited wealth because women tend to live longer. And we also tend to be, you know, brand consumption movers. And this is even more so now than it was then. So I had thought at the time, had this negative an idea, like, wouldn't it be cool to, to have a network or a company that was totally devoted to the female consumer? And at the time, this is before Oxygen or Own or any of these networks existed. This was a long time ago. And I had actually, I was in business school at the time, had written up this thing for a company that then I called SheTV. Um, well, all these years later, you know, I worked at Discovery, had the time of my life, right. you know, bought shows like Deadliest Catch and Dirty Jobs and Mythbusters, kind of series, put series on the air for Discovery, and then launched Half Yard and made lots of shows for a lot of great networks. But this idea kind of like all ideas ruminates deep inside oneself. And this was coming on the heels of, you know, the Me Too movement and looking and saying like, wow, here we are as women, we've come so far in the business and we've come so far in the industry. And yet, as I looked around uh, the industry, I was one of a few women who ran these production companies. And there are a number of us, but not enough of us. And I thought to myself, you know, it feels like the calling from that earlier insight that I had, which is if you could create a company that told stories that were sort of buying about women, but with the same authentic and real values that the female consumer wants and espouses that that would be a successful business. So that was kind of the beginnings of the nugget of Every Woman's Studios was wanting, loving nonfiction, loving real stories, but wanting to see stories by and about women that were authentic, that showed the full range of what the sort of female experience was and is. And also to put women in the story, particularly in some of what I call content deserts, like places where we don't tend to see women, Mm -hmm. i.e. like in those outdoor science Um, natural environments for all those years that I programmed at Discovery. We had almost no women on the air. Um, And so I felt like this is what I wanted to spend my next chapter doing. And I also thought that I could play a role in helping a lot of other women in the industry that had ideas, you know, especially even diverse women who are even less represented within the production ranks to get their ideas developed, sold, and made. So that's really the mission of the company is about creating content that fills these gaps and also working with those to make that content that may not previously had a seat at the table. So we're sort of doing both of those things. And it has been really rewarding to try and, you know, build this vision. We've just we're just at it. We just started the company, but I've been really excited to see what I think is an enormous opportunity in this particular space for sort of a purpose-driven company, but that's looking to do very commercial content that has sort of purpose baked inside. Now that you have this purpose and this kind of targeted goal, do you actually find that 
it's almost easier to develop as opposed it is to when such a great question asked by clearly someone who has been a development exec and developed and made and sold shows actually yes like one of the things that i found running half yard for as many years as 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 i did because half yard's been around now almost 17 16 yeah. years we started it in 2017 we started it in 2006 is and, and when i was at discovery we always talked about our filter like sure you know what made a discovery show or at half yard we tended to see things through a certain lens one of the things that happened upon starting every woman's studios like i started to think about these content deserts like where were there places where we just don't see women at all in content right or or you know see women hear women so sports, you know, science and tech, the outdoors. I mean, I started coming up with all these things and then ideas were just coming out of my eyeballs. Like sure. I just had sort of a creative explosion. And I think sometimes as developers, as creatives, we think that putting, you know, kind of reins on things or giving a certain focus can limit our creativity, but actually often it can be the opposite you know, like focusing yourself to think through a certain lens actually can be a creative expander. And so at this point, like we have more ideas than we have time in the day to develop sure. or sell them all. So we have kind of like a backlog of, yeah. of ideas in the pipeline that I think are all really fabulous. And, and I think it's largely that the crux of just what you, what you noted. I've learned that when I go in multiple directions from a from a development standpoint that's when i get stuck because yeah. my my brain gets focused on game and doc and true crime or all the multiple sub genres that we talk about right but if i get focused on oh okay this is a great piece of talent let's just spend three weeks building off that piece of talent who wants to be on camera I can get excited. I can find a format or three formats that really work. And then before I know it, I'm shooting a sizzle and then I'm pitching. And I, so I, that when, as I read more about what you're doing, it just occurred to me that like, you may be really having fun and really getting a group of people, you know, a large group of people who are really excited about not just developing, but buying the content that you're yeah. making. Well, I think that there are, I mean, interestingly, there are more women on the network side of the business. Yes. Um, then there are on the production company side, which is kind of interesting, actually. Like I always, people always ask me that. They say, why do you think more women don't go and start their own production companies? And I actually think it is, it is surprising that there aren't as many women out there. And I think maybe part of it is like, you know, it can be the, the, the sense is that it can be kind of, an even harder grind or, you know, takes more risk financial and otherwise. But I think that it is something where I've found that both different network execs and or talent, you know, it's kind of refreshing for people to see a company that's built on this ethos and yeah. say, like, we want to partner with you to bring you the best stories. But even more than that, we are talking to and working with and creating an ecosystem of amazing female creators and creatives. And so we're bringing that to the table and we're bringing ideas, some that are our own, some that are other people's that we're looking to catalyze and shine a light on. And that that concept is something that people 
I think want to rally around that you still yeah. got to find a great idea and you got to sure. find, you know, something that's broadly entertaining. But I do think I found that, yes, people are kind of like, hell yeah. Like, why is this taking <laughs> so long to come around, you know? And, yeah. and one of the things we've done is this accelerator program where we've paired up and comers or women who maybe have been showrunners or they've been developers within companies, or maybe they have their own company, but it's small and not established in the marketplace. So we've been created this program to be able to take some ideas that we think are really excellent and pair them with great female execs who either run production companies or run studios to workshop those ideas. And then we're getting them in front of network execs to hear pitches. And then the kind of winning ideas every woman's studios will help take out to the market, partner on, produce, et cetera, invest in. And one of the surprising things around that initiative and just the process of doing that was I actually, upon conceiving it, did it because I felt like there needed to be some specific mentorship to get more women into this kind of business ecosystem of running companies, coming up with the content ideas, et cetera. What I didn't expect was how good and commercial and sort of marketable the ideas would be and how much business would come from all the, the sort of myriad touch points of it. In other words, like all the mentors like loved being connected with one another. And I think in various ways, they and we will kind of as a community do business together. And that the mentors with the mentees, same thing. And with the network execs, I think everybody just enjoyed being part of the process. And I think that sometimes it's a good lesson in how like you can come at something from a purpose point of view and not know what the commercial outcome would be. But if you come at it the right way, then you might be surprised that there is a good outcome. Like that was certainly the case here. And I think it's shown me that with this company, it's more than commerce. Like that's, that's part of what we're selling is sort of the power of community, the power of sort of almost um, sort of crowdsourced community development and mentoring and creating and what it means to like open up uh, the gates and sort of let more people in. But in so doing, I think it makes our business proposition a stronger one when we go to buyers or networks and say, we're going to bring probably some like people you've never talked to before and some ideas you, that you would never have seen. And like, we can make sure that they're well executed, but we're getting, we're bringing into you something you're not getting otherwise. You know, that's part of the value proposition that we give to distributors. And for, the, and for the creators, we can be a place where you can bring that idea when you don't know who else to bring it to. Because we're willing to do the work and put in the time, you know, to help shine up ideas. And, and by the way, we'll also give economic participation in those projects where I think a lot of other companies won't. So that's you know, it's sort of the the flywheel effect is what we're trying to do. I find what you're doing with this accelerator is, again, super unique and really could be a, a game changer. So you're calling it Propel. 
Yeah. And it is a female focused accelerator program. And it you're you're basically choosing, you know, it's a competition, essentially. Yeah. Um, it is a competition, although what's interesting about it again is like we had shy of a hundred submissions the first year of it, which again I wasn't sure how many ideas we'd had, but we had more we had more better ideas than we had mentors. So uh, which is great, what, which is great. Which is great. What ended up happening though is of the ideas, so we had the three that were um, that were workshopped and mentored as sort of the finalists. But then of the top 10 ideas, uh, one of those was one that separately we at Every Woman Studios thought was had both commercial uh, possibilities and we also felt was a story that needed be to, to be told with a creator who had real promise. And it's a, it's a feature documentary idea and the filmmaker, whose name is Skylar Economy, is somebody actually we met at Sundance and a woman who's been working with me in development, Abby, who happens to be named Abby as well, Abby Rodriguez, yeah. met her at Sundance, heard the story of this film and said, you should apply to this accelerator program. She ended up not becoming one of the top three finalists, but we felt like her film was really unique. And so we are working with her now to further develop her film. We've funded some additional shooting. We're looking to package it up and figure out whether we take it to festivals or package it and take it to say a streamer or a premium you know, distributor. So that was one. There was also a project in there, or two of them that I thought were really excellent that I thought by partnering up that creator with a different company one, I partnered up with Half Yard because I thought it was a very much in the Half Yard lane kind of a show. Yeah. And they did a development deal with that producer, Half Yard did. And awesome. the other, I put them in touch with a lifestyle producer that um, does a lot of shows in the renovation space that I thought could be, you know, good connection. So that was before the three finalist projects that in varying stages, we're still involved in helping to push forward in various ways. So you know, there's a bunch of projects that there have been positive outcomes for. So while we have this kind of very structured program that gets where ideas get assessed and gets rated on a criteria sort of blind and then they get workshopped through that workshop, workshop process, process really do get improved and mentored. And then we set up the pitches and they get feedback from the pitches, which as we know as pitchers, you don't always get, right? Honest right. feedback. Yes, feedback right. both on how they pitched, the contents of the pitch, the contents of the sizzle, um, the fit for that network, any specific notes. And we do postmorts with all of the networks. And then they get that feedback. How great is that? Yeah. And yeah. then we're able to also which has been interesting, use that feedback to further refine the ideas for the ones that we think we can help take to market with these creators. So like we have an idea right now that was actually the winner of the accelerator and we have funded some additional development of the idea, use the feedback that we got and we've attached an excellent female doc filmmaker to the project and we're pitching it out over the next couple of weeks to both some of the folks that liked it when we pitched it as part of the accelerator but then we're going to pitch it broader to 
you know, premium networks, et cetera. So right. it kind of can become, I think, uh, a great process, not just for the creators, but also for the projects. Like it really helps to hone and season the projects in kind of a cool way and has shown me sort of the power of um, democratizing development a bit, you know, because at Half Yard, for example, we really developed all of our ideas internally. Sure. We didn't do a lot of partnering. Some companies do more of that, but we yeah. sort of really built out an internal casting and development capability. You know, when you do that, that can be powerful because that's your in-house sort of proprietary yeah, strength, IP, right? IP reasons. And it's yeah. also why, it's why you pay your development team. It's why you pay yeah. your team. It's yeah. like, you know, but to your point, like we talked about earlier in terms of that development filter, it can be, you know, I think there's a real value in the market now and unscripted where like companies tend to enter one lane or the other, right? So you're yeah. like a crime producer. Correct. Or, you know, at Half Yard, we did both sort of female skewing and male skewing shows, but right. we were really a character-driven docu-soap company or loosely formatted. And those were the kind of shows that we did. And there were other companies that would do food shows or... And you tend to get sort of pigeonholed, pigeonholed, right. And often it was like your most successful show or your first big hit or whatever it was. And so what's been interesting about this is by defining the company by its purpose, rather than its content type, kind of how you were saying originally, yeah. it gives us, it gives us a broader creative breadth, but also I think with this accelerator concept means that we can really bring any project to the market because we're less about what we uniquely develop or make and we're we're even more about being you know bringing the totality of sort of female voices to the market so we don't yeah. need to be I'm, I'm hoping this is kind of our special sauce we'll see talk to me in two years <laughs> but I think that you know I'm kind of flipping inadvertently, I didn't, can't say that I totally sketched this out perfectly on a napkin beforehand, but sure. the idea here is to kind of invert the model where we're, right. what makes an every woman show is that it's either by or about women and it does these things, fill these gaps, but what kind of show it is and what kind of place it comes from doesn't matter, you know, and by the way, it could also be a podcast or right. a scripted series or a big shiny floor competition or whatever, but the, the values and the kind of DNA is, is the same. I want to talk about say yes to the dress. Yeah. Um, I love a great format and say yes to the dress is one of those shows that just has that format that just works. And I wanted to ask you about kind of the genesis of the concept well, these were the days when you sold an idea, sold an idea on a one sheet. Oh, wow. Right? Those were I, the days. Those were the days. Um, I was, this was actually one of the first ideas we sold having started Half Yard Productions. Um, it was actually, we kind of came up with the idea almost before we had officially set up the company. Um, we, the background is that we, when we started half yard, um, 
we had an output deal with discovery. So we had a commitment of a certain number of hours and we were, we were not able to work for anybody else. And that kind of, while we had started the company, not knowing that that would be the case, but because Sean and I were both sort of lead executives at discovery and TLC, I think discovery felt very much like we don't want our kind of creative yeah. intellectual property walking out the door and making shows sure. for like history channel and that geo. And right. we were quite happy to do that because we were very loyal to discovery and knew the brand very well. And so creatively though, for me, like I had been programming discovery for years and I did have a couple nuggets of female ideas that I wasn't able to do anything with this one, this particular idea being one of them. And the crux of the idea was that there had been on daytime on discovery, actually, back when I started in the company, which was like 1995, that there was a show called Baby Story and a Wedding Story. And they were stripped in daytime and in fringe. And you couldn't like kill it with a stick. They were half hours. Um, you know, they were, they were light. But I thought absolutely you could make a primetime version of that show but if you set it in, you know, a great location that had sort of all of the rite of passage storytelling, but also some docu elements of the people, the staff that worked there. Yeah. And so we went about looking for the ultimate place to do it. And somebody that I know had gotten their dress at Kleinfeld and told me the story. And I was like, oh, this sounds amazing because it's like the old store. It had been in Brooklyn sort of an institution. So we actually had written it up as a one pager called, I think it was originally called behind the dress or something yeah. like that. It wasn't Somebody, called say yeah. us address. <laughs> we had convinced the then GM of TLC, David Abraham, who, who then ended up going back to run channel four subsequently um, to do this pilot but the 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 making of the deal with Kleinfeld was very challenging because as it had happened they'd gotten close to setting up a show before with Lifetime but it fell apart because the network and they couldn't agree on deal terms and so we having just been fresh out of the network were able to sort of massage this such that we got convinced Kleinfeld to do the show because nice. they were concerned about their brand, like what if it looked bad for them? And sure. they were very savvy business people. Ronnie Rothstein and Mara Urschel are to this day very dear friends of mine. But they, they were very savvy about not wanting to make sure that their brand was tarnished because that brand was everything. And they had just moved into this huge base in Chelsea from Brooklyn, where the company had been prior and had been run by, it was a family business that then basically got sort of bought up and run by business folks. And then was later bought by Ronnie and Mara who were kind of resuscitating it back to its original glory. And so I remember going the first time into the store and meeting Ronnie and Mara and seeing the place. And just, it was like early, like Tom and Jerry, you know, at, those Tom and Jerry cartoons where characters eyeballs would like bonk out of their heads, you know, where I was yeah. just like, rrr, rrr. like I couldn't believe yeah. how amazing it was. 
and you see these brides and you see they have dresses from the ceiling that run three city blocks like on these conveyor belts that they had specially made for the purpose and it's just dresses as far as the eye can see and I went in there and I was like this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen <laughs> like if this show doesn't work I don't know what will and the Ronnie at the time said we are not in the wedding dress business we are in the rite of passage business and that's mm. when I knew the show was a format and it would be a success because yeah. I thought the best shows really speak to some, or we should say one set of these kind of format based shows yeah. are really based on life moments. And we just happen to bear witness. And that's why the show I think has had the longevity because it's not just about finding a dress. It's about this moment that is a rite of passage for women that they instantly can put themselves in the story, whether you have been married or you don't want to get married or you're going to get married or whatever, man, if you're a man, you're a woman, it doesn't matter. So it's a kind of instantly enterable story and format. And so that was that I was like between the city blocks of dresses and what Ronnie said, I was like, this is going to be great. And then we delivered the rough cut of that pilot the day that David Abraham left as a GM and his parting words were this is the best rough cut I've ever seen but somebody <laughs> else is gonna have to decide whether to green light it uh, okay. and I was like holy crap but then what ended up happening eventually was Eileen O'Neill who we knew and who was an excellent executive who had been sort of in an interim type position ended up seeing it. The pilot did very well. And then she ended up ordering it um, to series. But at one crazy moment, this TLC canceled the show, which no one there remembers, but um, <laughs> there was a, a period where it had run for a couple seasons. There was new management at TLC after a period and they were wanting to do sort of all celebrity stuff. Yes. And, I remember that. Period. Yep, you yeah. remember it. And they can't, they actually canceled the show. And I remember thinking this is impossible. Like it's rated so well, <laughs> like all these things, it's like a built in right. format. It can run and run and run. And so we actually were, they had, they had passed on it and we had the ability to take it elsewhere. We were about to sell it to we, and then as a last ditch effort, I went to an executive who's no longer at the company and said, do you realize that you've passed on this? And if we go and sell this at we, there's people are good, people's heads are going to roll. And she ended up resuscitating it. And now it's in its like 18th season. Right. Wow. So um, it's kind of one of these stories about, I don't know, a little bit of perseverance, a little bit of you know, just kind of keeping the faith. And as you well know, this business, so much of, of, of it is the hustle. Like it's not sure. glorious. There's a lot of like being passionate and making it happen. And we've made spinoffs of it and we've made right. other related shows, but it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving. And it's one of my favorite shows that I've made and to watch because it's, it is real. It is like one of the few real shows on television. And in some ways in the bit, in that bit of that show is the DNA of what I'm doing now, which yeah. is like real authentic 
you know, storytelling by and about women because nowhere in that show do you see anything other than what really happens. Like you really do see human relationships as they are. It's not produced. It's not made to present women in one way or the other. They just, you know, and we've told all kinds of different stories about what relationships are and what love is and what it means to be female and, you know, the whole range of it. So I'm very proud of that show. And it, it transformed our company over time because it, you know, became this kind of foundational show as all companies who I think ultimately have longevity and unscripted have like one or two of those shows that just kind of, yeah, you know, go and go and go. Yeah. You need that one big hit and then you're off and running. That's it. What do you think having done, having done now several wedding shows, what makes a great wedding show versus obviously some that we've seen just, you know, show up, do one season and then they, they go. Away. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is that authenticity thing because viewers sniff that. And I think women have a particularly good bullshit meter. So I think it can't be something that's like staged or set up or whatever. And then I also think that some people make the mistake that with these shows that it's, if you, if you stray too far, I think from the POV of sort of the bride. Yeah. Like that's really what these shows are about. So, you know, it's not about a celebrity. It's not about the designer. It's not about, it's really about this personal story of this bride who's on this rite of passage. And if, and I think most of the shows that sort of stick true to that in one way or the other are what people want to see. Is there a bride or an episode of say yes to the dress that you recall that really sticks with you um, even to today? It's interesting. Well, I still remember the pilot so, so well, because like any pilot, you, you just remember like going over it so many, so many times. And it was one of our first shows and the woman who made it for us, whose name is Nicole Sorrenti is now the chief creative officer of the company. She's like from that first show, she stayed working for half yard through all of its 16 years or whatever it was. And then San Hang, who was the associate producer of it, now has had a great career and moved to LA, but she's done a bunch of shows like EP Drag Race. Uh, this just, I think, one or nominated for another Emmy, um, has made a bunch of excellent shows. So, you know, that I have to say the pilot is the one because it feels so special. Like, even though the show has evolved as shows do, what was so brilliant was how that team on that show really got the essence of what makes Say Yes, Say Yes. And actually the title we didn't have, but our exec producer at the time, Sarah Kozak, also known as Kaz, she was the one who upon seeing the pilot was like, this is amazing. And we were trying to think what to call it. Yeah. And in one of our, we had a dinner with the Kleinfeld owners and one of them said something like, you know, we're just always waiting for people to say yes to the dress. And she was like, that's it. Say yes to the dress. (laughs) So, you know, it just was that special show that back in the day, like when you could sell it on a one pager and you had the time and space to make it amazing. And I still remember every story in that pilot. 
which is amazing because that was however many years it was ago. Right. And it, you know, it was done on tape and, oh, you know, yep. I have the DVD. I have the DVD of it <laughs> sitting here in my office. When it comes to development, like you said, you could sell a show with a one sheet back in the day. Yeah. Now it's much harder to do that. Do you feel like development starts with a format or does it start with talent? Does it start with an idea or an article? How do you start that development process? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think many of the ideas, at least that half yard that we were selling started with talent or access. Like it was very, we had very talent driven yeah. shows like a world or a character. Right. I'm finding what I'm doing now is a little different because number one, you know, we're moving the company. It kind of sits in this purpose space. So, so a bunch of what ideas we have, some are IP based. So maybe it's book or article or something like that. And others are access driven, okay. a bunch of sort of access driven projects. Yeah. And then we have some that are talent driven, but different talent, like more of what we're doing here are in this kind of stories about and with, we're talking to a lot of, I would say, culture-making women, influential women of culture, politics, the world. Yeah. And like, how do we either build shows with them or about them or um, through them? And then, and then there are, you know, we have some projects like through, as I said, the Accelerator, other things, and those are coming in you know, coming into us and they're sort of thinking about, well, how can we, how can we take what's here and make it, as I like to think of it, something somebody cannot not have, you know? Yeah, of course. So, you know, the idea that we're pitching out now, which is about one of Warren Jeff's wives who escaped the Mm. FLDS. Yeah. Incredible producer got, has amazing access to, Warren Jeff's 65th wife and this world that she lives in that is also helping other women to escape now. Um, And so that was the crux of her access and her idea. And so again, access, good character, but then because of the company being in this purpose space and also because we're looking at the premium market who has an interest in those purpose driven stories, we took that idea and sort of added the layer onto it of an excellent female filmmaker yeah. who has told stories about abusive power and had a real sort of brand expertise in that area. So, so really there, we're almost like packaging up elements to make it be something that if that comes across the door, you're like, holy cow. Right. Amazing right. world, amazing character, amazing female creative. I can't not have this. That's the idea. My, my next question is packaging. Because yeah. so much of what we do now is you can't just sell a show with, oh, I've got great access. Oh, I've got a great piece of talent. Oh, I've got a great format. You've got to have all, you know, the total package. So what, you know, how do you approach it from a standpoint of like, at what point do you check all the, like, are all the boxes checked and you're saying, 
okay, Let's we're ready to go take this out to with market. It. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I if I was honest with you, I'd say we haven't totally figured it out. This is another one. I'd talk to you in a year and you can tell me how it goes. Because <laughs> I think that some ideas like this one that I just articulated, um, that was kind of an easier easier yeah. to figure out what the gap was to make it feel special and premium and stand out in the market. Because people have told told the Warren Jeff story before, right? Sure. So sure. how do we make it tell the female perspective, make it elevated and well and excellent and premium kind of space? So we have other ideas we're putting together where we have a great piece of say book IP and yes. an author attached and a great story to tell and a great some great female creatives behind it. And then we're asking ourselves, well, do we need a named talent in addition or not? You know, like, yeah. do we need that added level of sparkle and sheen? Yeah. And yeah. I think, and so that's one place where I think we'll see. We have an idea now that is in the food space that we sold without that, um, without the, 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 talent this celebrity or known talent it's kind of based on an authentic world that exists female focused um and then we have another idea where we've kind of decided let's let's see if we can you know attach a known woman who cares about this issue or space to the project you know i think if i'm a buyer and and one one observation I've had, and I would be interested to hear if you agree with this. I, I tend to be someone who looks at the trends of the industry, industry always with a bit of distance. And it's been one of the things I think I've always been interested in, but also maybe has been a part of my success is I'm not always the smartest person or the best or most creative, but I'm good <laughs> at sort of luck and timing and kind of reading the tea leaves and seeing where opportunity is and so forth. And so the time when I left Discovery was when I saw real business in the making of nonfiction television yeah. because yeah. I had been buying it and I saw that there was business, right. scalable business. Yeah. And and part of the, and through the life cycle of running Half Yard, I could see that the really the cable business was becoming commoditized that it was like more about cheaper, faster, cheaper, faster. Yeah. So now there's a real direct to consumer proliferation sure. and a want for more quote unquote premium content. But at the same time you have like a rush into unscripted in the market, a lot of let's call it talent backed production companies. <laughs> and yes, which is really yes. interesting and so yeah. and you see and this this then begets a lot of the packaging correct but i suspect what will happen over time because we're gonna have we have all these direct-to-consumer services a lot of them are new they all need a ton of content they need shiny things to be able to get consumers to to watch them and pay their subscriptions sure, of course so they're going to buy some of these things, but then, then they're going to learn and find out, well, what do people actually continue to watch? What yeah. are the things, what drives consumer value is like entertainment consumption. 
Right. And I suspect that some of these things will work and some won't. And I suspect that the things that will work are where you genuinely feel a sense of authenticity. Cause I always think authenticity sells both as a show proposition or as a viewer, as a yeah. show proposition. So I wonder how much this packaging, I think this packaging thing, there's like, I think there's a land run on this whole packaging thing. And I think that over time, it'll have to get to a place where it's gotta be, there has to be value to the networks with the packaging. I hope so, because I feel like right now it's a bit out of control. Right. That's again, I, but I say that as a freelancer. So for a freelancer, it becomes, that's what I was, I was getting at is I can't just, Three or four right. years ago, I could find a great piece of talent, build a format around her, take it to someone, take that project mm -hmm. to someone like you, and we could, you know, fix it, you know, make it better, put a great sizzle together and sell it. That can't happen now. We've got right. to elevate, find a filmmaker or find a celebrity EP and then, or maybe both. Right. And it, and it, it can out. take a long time yes. Yes. and time is money. Yeah. No, yeah. I think this is an interesting thing. So for sure, it is one of the moments akin to the first moment when I started Half Yard. And then I would say the second moment was kind of around the time we sold our business. And there was a real, it was kind of the height, if you will, of the unscripted renaissance <laughs> in cable, in cable, yeah. when yeah. a lot of these companies like Half Yards had been around for a period of time and amassed a lot of shows kind of rolled up into these super groups, super producer entities. Yes, yes. And that was another moment that you could just feel the sifting, the sort of shifting sands of the business. Another one is happening right now. I mean, you don't need to be a genius to see it. Correct, yeah. And, and I think part of it is all about differentiation. Because if you're... If you're Discovery Plus, for example, and you're saying pay me $4.99 or whatever it is, yeah. you get the service, yeah. even though you get the channel for free on your Comcast or whatever it is, like what is it that's different or better about that or any of these other services? But over time, I think what will happen is probably there will be some leveling where, you know, content's expensive. Of course. And people are paying their way into the market right now. So there will be a moment where I think the shift will come back to, well, how can we do higher volume, lower cost formats, you know, docu formats, et cetera. Yeah. And in order to do that, it will have to be like without the packaging elements because that makes it expensive, more expensive, right? Yeah. So sure. I suspect right now you kind of just have the high without the low in in the premium direct to consumer market. But I expect over time that that will evolve and shift. I think. I think one great thing about the nature of the producer is we are so adaptive, right? Yes, 100%. And and I think the unscripted business even perhaps more than others because it's newer. This is a newer craft and trade and we don't always get all the shiny, you know, sort of 
back off. You know, we don't always get all the things in the budget. Correct. So we've, we we're used to being scrappy. We're used to puffer fishing it and making our shows look more expensive than they are or whatever. And, and actually that is part of my beef. If the beef is the right word, like I think viewers and consumers want something that is super authentic, which doesn't necessarily mean expensive or it could be quality, but doesn't mean that it should be polished or shiny. Those are different things. And sometimes people confuse them. Yeah. Meaning like you could get a great, like there's almost a return to the original docu storytelling, which is a little raw, more raw, more gritty, more unfiltered. Yeah. But that actually could be more expensive, but it's different than something being shiny. And I think consumers want the former, like the, the raw, the gritty, the real. Gritty. Yeah. And, and that can be served up filmmaker style or it can be served up like, you know, fly on the wall, DP style, like we used to all do, you know, sure. early days of say yes. Yep. And I think both are possible. And those are the both, those are both spaces that, that every woman studios want to be in. Cause we're in the business of telling these like authentic stories about women. So we can ostensibly be like the filmmaker world is interesting to us. And, and even the like docu follow gritty world is interesting to us so long as it feels authentic and real and sort of unvarnished you know yeah unpolished yeah. okay i usually end the show with what to watch so is there anything you've seen lately or anything you're watching that you think the audience should tune in for you know it's funny in my family we do a lot of watching and re-watching okay um some of that's because i have teenage kids who super consume shows but <laughs> one scripted show that i think is great is that we've been re-watching is sherlock okay. um, and and also sort of in that vein a great unscripted show it is a format but that i also think is in the category of what i was saying you can do a premium thing but have it be real and unvarnished if that makes sense Mm -hmm. I still think Great British Bake Off is one of the great unscripted formats ever created. Um, and the reason why the like US iterations didn't work is because they tried to make it too US-y, too yeah. polished, too, you know? The whole beauty of that show is it's like hominess, it's it's realness. It's, I mean, it's within a whole format and it's beautifully done, but you know, and I've watched like every iteration of that, like the pottery one. And yeah. And if you watch that, it's like so Britishly great. I lived in England for a while. So I'm a big Anglophile, but, but yeah. what I love about the English reality TV take, it's actually probably where the premium market is in the States right now. Cause it's like, it feels a little more documentary style versus polished. And I, that is at least my prediction of what kind of unscripted we'll be looking like on more of these premium services. I feel like when I watch like a British show, and again, I, I don't know why, whether it's just their sensibilities or the characters, it's just funnier. Or it's just, there's just something about, and then I point to, sorry, 
And I point to uh, Too Hot to Handle mm -hmm. or Love on the Spectrum or British Baking Show. Uh, they just have a different feel yeah. and a different tone. And yeah. when we I think try, a lot of it is like pacing too. Yeah, it, pacing. Just, it has like more of a cadence. It's interesting because um, my daughters love The Office and we were listening to The Office uh, podcast, yeah. Office Ladies, which is fabulous. But they talk about the fact that the office was a British show first. And, you know, the Brits made like, you know, it was a huge hit in England. And what did they made? They made like 13 episodes or something. Right, right. That's all they ever made. And then they were like, it's so, it's so great. It's over. I mean, here in the States, we like kill everything to death, right? <laughs> yes. I remember being a buyer at Discovery and we would, cause we had this big partnership with the BBC and we would laugh because if something did really well, they'd come back and make like three hours, like a three pack on it. And we would always sort of roll our eyes a bit and be like, where's the 20 hour, like you had us <laughs> said hello. Like we wanna yeah. know how many of these puppies can you pop out, you know, and how fast can we get them on the air? And it's just not, there's more of a crafting creative mentality. Um, and I think it's because there's more of a tradition, tradition of factual documentary making in the UK because of the BBC, to be honest, than there is in the States. So like we, like reality TV sort of came here and has taken over the market. Whereas really in the UK, there was a very robust factual programs right. tradition that still permeates, I think the culture of showmaking in the UK. So yeah. I happen to like love, like if name any format that has the American version, I like the UK one better. Like Interesting. that's my, that's hmm. my vote. Okay. Abby, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, it's nice to talk to a fellow striver in the business <laughs> um, who has developed a lot of shows and made a lot of shows and bring some sort of drama to what is an otherwise you know, unsexy business that we're all in. <laughs> oh, we try and make it sexy. We, we try. do, we do. You right? might be sexing it up ever so slightly. Well, so nice to talk to you and yeah. uh, good luck on both the podcast and everything else you're doing. Thanks, Abby. That's a wrap on another episode of No Script, No Problem. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, download, and rate it with five stars. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can also find it at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. Follow me on Twitter and Clubhouse at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you have a question, send it to me at no script, no problem podcast at gmail.com and then I'll answer it on the show. If you're interested in advertising on No Script, No Problem, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Thank you for listening. And until next time, I'm Steve Berkowitz for No Script. No problem. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.